No, I got a cup of coffee though. I'm feeling strong, man. I'm feeling good. Are you? You ready to uh, you ready to lash out at the world and scream it from the hilltops? Mm, let's not get too ambitious. Let's <laughs> uh, you know, let's start with a. I'm ready to remain conscious as we record this show. There you go. Does well, that, uh, okay. Sounds quite frankly, like, Mark, that that's more than you've been able to ask of me sometimes. So it's a good point. Every time, you, me... every time you hear a thump, it's me kicking Chris to wake him up. Yeah. And you'll notice all of a sudden I start talking faster at that right. point. It actually does remind me of a story of uh, Mark and I back in our glory days of working together. Yep. Which was a lot of fun. I do I do miss those times. Um, it was a simpler time. Yeah. We were called into a nearby city, and by nearby city I mean Portland, uh, to um, cover for a standby unit. One of our crews was out there covering an event, which we often do in case someone gets injured at like a, you know, a football game or what mm-hmm. have you. And we were heading out over... And they didn't need us after all. So we turned back around. I was tired. And I'm not going to say that I was sleeping on the clock. But I was sleeping on the clock. Ah, crap, <laughs> I said it. But I was out. Like, I passed out. Mark was driving, so that, that I should clear that part up. <laughs> I was the passenger. But I was out. Next thing I remember, waking up on scene of a call. <laughs> and Mark being like, get out of the truck. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then we go on. And the best thing is, I woke up with the map book in my lap. Right. <laughs> so we hop back in, and I'm talking to Mark. I'm like... So I'm like, thanks for putting the map book in my lap. So I always feel like I did something because from my perception, Mark grabbed the map book, mapped himself in, threw it in my lap. And then we went in there. What had actually happened is even though from my perception, I was asleep, I woke up, mapped the call, fell back asleep. Because <laughs> Mark's like, no, dude, you, yeah, you yeah. mapped the call. <laughs> you, you got us there. So yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so next time you call 911. Just, you know, consider who's going to show up. Exactly. <laughs> Think very deeply about how badly you want people to come help you. Yeah. So. But speaking of sleep. Sleep? <laughs> Long time ago, they used to use opiates as a sleep aid. No, they still well, why did you do. bring that up, Chris? Well, I think we're going to talk about opiates today. What makes you think that? I don't know. It could be because it's on the top of the, uh, <laughs> the uh, prep list here. But, you know. So I guess this is probably where we start going, hey, welcome to medical stuff. My name is Mark. I know what Morpheus now means, Frankum, and that's Chris. I just know I like morphine, Fingston. Yeah, I do like morphine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't abuse morphine, although for treating my acute pain, I do. And by the way... It's never cute. No, it's not. Acute pain is not cute. No, it's not. No, it's very unfun. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be talking about opiates today. and so Opiates we... or opiates? Both. Opioids or opiates? Yeah, well... Opioids. Opioids. Opioids? Look at the spelling. Like hemorrhoid? Well, yeah, but the spelling is odd. O-P-I-O-I-D-S. I think you misspelled it. No, I didn't. Because I tried to spell it the other way and it told me it was wrong and I googled it. Sure shit, that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there's an extra I in there and you're like, holy oh. crap. So I guess when you say there's no I in opioids, you're absolutely wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. There's two of them. Yeah, opioids. Yeah, so... Now, you've probably heard opioids, you've probably heard opiates, and um, we've recently done some street drugs episodes where we've talked about various opioids and opiates, but because these drugs have such a rich history uh, in the world culture, uh, dating back as far as we have found, I mean, ancient Macedonians were using this. Macedonians? 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 Opioid? Opioid? The opium (laughs) pot. Anyway, um... First, I guess I'll clar- clarify some terminology. As you've heard, Mark and I already struggle a little bit uh, with the ter- terminology. Whoa, whoa, hey, hey. I'm solid. <laughs> if there's struggling going on, it's on that side of the microphone. I just have no confidence now. <laughs> I started out good. So, opiates and opioids. 
an opiate uh, is any drug that is derived directly from the opium poppy plant that also acts on opiate receptors in your brain. Like Demerol. Or morphine. Right. Or codeine. Right. Um, opium. Opium, exactly, which is the original, I guess you could say, of all of them. The OG or yeah. the OP. <laughs> original poppy. I guess <laughs> I was going to say, like, or the OO. Right. Original opium uh, or op- opioid. Uh, but anyway, opioids covers those and synthetic drugs that also act on the same opiate receptors. Such as fentanyl. Exactly. Or dilaudid. Uh, methadone, which we'll talk about as well. All my homies. Yeah, exactly. Um, was that Kid Rock, all my homies in the methadone clinic? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's uh, that's a good one, Frankum. I try. Yeah. I mean, you, you had a music reference that's uh, newer than 1970s, so that's good for you, man. <laughs> Anywho, so let's talk about history. So... It comes from a plant, and the actual name of that plant is the Popover somniferum. Or a poppy. Yeah, let's go with the uh, poppy plant instead. Which is fun, because in the, for Remembrance Day in Canada and in England, everywhere's a poppy plant on their lapel. Oh, wow. And we had poppy day. Nice. That's right. I keep forgetting you're Canadian. Mm-hmm. Then every now and then I see you right with your left hand, I'm like, ah, yes. Ah, there it is. There's, there's the Canadian. The defining characteristic of a Canadian. <laughs> um, but fun story, somniferum actually means uh, to sleep. It's a Latin word uh, that means to sleep. And we'll talk about morphine a little bit later, but that is derived from the word Morpheus, which I believe is the Greek god of sleep. It is. Yeah. Which, once I learned that, blew my mind because of the Matrix. Yeah, well, I see. Actually, I I knew that uh, way way early in life because my dad told me. My dad right. was a paramedic. For those who haven't heard the podcast with him, mm-hmm. so I probably knew a lot of things as a child that other children did not know. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. My daughter I've scarred her tremendously through my stories of work. Oh, I know. And my dad ruined movies for me because I've known for a long, long time. You that don't you, shock a system. You don't shock a flatline. You don't shock it. You're not jumpstart. Anyway, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. Yeah, seriously. Um, but no, the opioid poppy plant has been harvested uh, for this use forever. For as long as uh, recorded history can In go back. time immemorial. Oh, uh, ancient Minoans, ancient uh, Greeks. They all have artwork or literature indicating its use. Uh, the most basic drug form of this is opium. Basically, they make that by taking the seed pod, and they actually just slice the seed pod, and they squeeze out the sap. The sap is just left out in the sun to dry, and then you can either ingest the dried sap or smoke it. You can do either of those, and that's how you get the effects of the opium plant. Mm-hmm. The effect is uh, felt within minutes. Yeah. The dangers of addiction and overdose, though, were also recognized centuries ago as well. Um in fact, the opium wars of the early 1800s, early to mid-1800s, uh, was when the British and French were actually trying to smuggle opium and poppy plants themselves into China. The British actually owned large portions of India at that point. Well, back in that time, you also had opium dens. Yeah. You had very respectable places that you could, and non-respectable places, depending <laughs> on how much money you had, where you could go and smoke opium and lay in a bed and just trip. In fact, uh, I'm sure they have another place, but here in Portland, have you ever been to the Shanghai Tunnels? I have not. Uh, this is a kind of a cool thing to go For to. For being a local, I probably should. Yeah, it's kind of a cool thing. So there's uh, stories about how they used to Shanghai people to work on ships, mm-hmm. and they actually have like a drop floor underneath a bar. But uh, one of the things they show you is that this was also an opium den at one point, and there's a little uh, area that they've excavated that was an actual opium den. Wow. Back in the 1800s, you'd go down there and 
uh, smoke opium and they have the beds in there and yeah. Yeah. That's the way to go. Yeah. If you get a chance to do the Shanghai Tunnel, it's kind of a fun little thing to do. I think I'll try that. Yeah. I think I'll try that. Take Unfortunately, the kids. It's ghost stories and everything. Take the kids. Oh, there you go. Oh, Emmett loves ghost stories. For his third birthday, we actually uh, used my brother-in-law's barn mm-hmm. and all the adults hit around with monster masks and he went monster hunting. Oh, wow. He loves to be scared. Oh, wow. Both the kids do. Down here, though, you can, like, you'll be standing there and you can all of a sudden smell perfume. Really? Yeah. Ooh. It's kind of cool. Not every single time. And they tell some good stories. Gotcha. There's probably some guy behind a curtain spraying perfume before probably. you walk there. Hey, but... don't ruin it for me. Hey, what? Okay, I'm sorry. God. It's legitimate ghost, Mark. <clears throat> anyway, uh, back as on track as we'll ever be. Right. Anyway, I was about to say back on track, but I figured I was shooting for the moon. Yeah. So basically, uh, opium is consists of two compounds that uh, get the user high, and that's going to be morphine and codeine. Those are the two compounds that opium can be broken down into. Uh, morphine was isolated and sold in the early 1800s in various forms. It wasn't until later that codeine was... Codeine was isolated early on, but it wasn't commercially viable for a while. Uh, but back to morphine, though. In uh, the late 1800s, Bayer accidentally created diamorphine in an attempt to isolate codeine from the opium. Wow. The codeine was actually well sought after because it had been isolated before, and they knew that it was less addictive than morphine, it wasn't as powerful, but could be used to treat this, treat the same things. As I'd already mentioned, the uh, addictive effects and the downsides to opium have been known for a long, long time. So this thing that Bear accidentally created was it? It's heroin. Yes, they actually ended up creating heroin right. instead, which is not weaker than morphine, but two to three times stronger <laughs> right. than morphine. So yes, you got much more of the, and they would use. I mean, we talked about this in the last episode. They would use this as like a sleep aid and an expectorant. And here's the best part about it. Bayer actually advertised it as a non-addictive alternative right. to morphine. Right. Because what they were trying to do, though, mm-hmm. what the goal was, is they would say it was non-addictive because you could use half to a third the dose. Right. And that was the goal. Unfortunately... You're getting more of a dose because people it was stronger. <laughs> people just didn't do that. Right. You know, and it ended up being uh, very addictive, and it didn't last long. It was uh, pretty much primarily commercially sold 1898 to 1910. Right. And by 1912, there was legislation against it around the world. Right. So it was very short-lived because it was incredibly addictive. Um, so, yeah, that is basically how heroin came to be and mm-hmm. still remains the most abused opium byproduct in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because you can, I mean, you don't need a big, you don't necessarily need a big, huge lab to create it. No, you don't. In fact, a lot of it is created um, on barn floors. Mm-hmm. Intentionally. Stop looking for a bathroom and kind of walked in on it with a camera crew. No, no, no. Intentionally. They're making it, it's at a, an actual uh, heroin plant in Columbia or somewhere, I don't know. Huh. And what it is, is you have what looks to me like a covered horse stall, because I grew up with horses. Right. And they just have um, just tons of. Uh, poppy plant byproduct on the ground. Mm-hmm. They're dumping chemical on it, and there's guys just walking around with mashers on their feet, just mashing it all together. Hmm. They didn't let it sit for a few days, and bam, heroin. Really? Yeah. Gotta find that. Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. Chef. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta find that because I gotta figure out what the name of the show is. But yeah. Right. Yeah, and he's uh, he actually critiques the way they're making it as like unsanitary, <laughs> which cracks me up because like. No kidding. Right. <laughs> Are you trying to tell me that the heroin producers <laughs> of the world 
are not the, using aseptic techniques. On the stall floor? This is not so. sterile? Exactly. My goodness. And they're walking around on it with masher shoes? Someone should advise the FDA. Exactly. This uh, cannot where be is your local code. health authority? Mm-hmm. I'm sure their uh, feces parts per billion is way up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Way above the acceptable level. Uh, so, morphine is the one half, and that is what heroin is derived from. But the other half of the opium byproduct is coating. And codeine was not, it was isolated around the same time as the morphine was, but not commercially viable until actually the early 1900s. And since the advent of codeine, uh, many other synthetic, semi-synthetic, and natural variations of opioids have been created. So why do people, excuse me. So why do people take opioids in the first place? Because I like the feeling. Yeah. And what are those feelings? Uh, We have reduced pain perception, hence why it's used, well, we use fentanyl. Mm-hmm. For that specific reason. Yeah, and fentanyl being a synthetic opioid. Right. Before it was, fentanyl was used, it was very common to see morphine. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your hospital settings now, you're seeing a lot more use of Dilaudid. Yeah. Because it's, it, it reduces your ability to feel pain. You know, we tell people that uh, in the ambulance, it's probably not going to take away the pain. Yeah. But you're going to care about it a whole lot less. Absolutely. And because the second thing, the second effect it has is euphoria. Mm. You're just generally happier. Uh, we were talking earlier about the kid in the last episode who we gave uh, morphine to, or we, well, we gave fentanyl to, and by the time we got to the hospital, after dislocating his arm, he's licking uh, his he's shoulder. Licking his shoulder, you know. His parents had quite a quite a look on their face. Yes, uh, does create a sensation of fearlessness also. Right. And it's a, no, it, this is that bulletproof, I've had four beers, not bulletproof kind of situation. Yeah. Now, this actually has a little bit of a, I guess, a darker history behind it. So you start, you do hear about um, places where there's military coups going on. Mm-hmm. And you see, like, child soldiers. Oh, yeah. This is one of the ways they drive a child to battle, is they right. actually get them high on various and opiates. keep them high on it. Yeah, because it gives a sense of fearlessness. I believe the way it was worded was that it, um, it removes perceived danger. Mm-hmm. And uh, so with that... Well, if I'm doing some research, I think it's the same thing in the sex trade. Mm -hmm. Where they get them high and they get them, A, addicted to this. Right. So they're willing to do what you want them to do because you can provide them more. Yeah. Uh, Then also, yeah, the the situation that would normally be very scary, rightly so. Yeah. You're a child soldier or you're being forced into prostitution. You know, you don't perceive it as bad. It's not as bad because because of the drug you're on. Yeah. Keeps you down to it. And then the last one is your drowsy. And a lot of these early uh, opium derivatives, such as heroin and morphine, morphine, getting its name from the Greek god Morpheus, were actually sold as sleep aids. Right. Uh, They've been used as antidepressants, not specifically, well, maybe specifically morphine. Yes. They've been sold as antidepressants. Yeah, it's that that euphoric feeling. Yeah. So, uh, and... Not all these are things. Now, obviously, in the medical field, we're not going to be giving it uh, to people for fearlessness. Right. Um, but these are some more medical uses for it. Like we already mentioned, analgesia or pain control. Right. Uh, decreased air hunger. Now, mm-hmm. what air hunger is typically associated with is people who are chronically short of breath. So if someone has a disease process like emphysema or congestive Con- heart failure or uh, lung cancer. Basically, diseases that are going to cause shortness of breath um, later in the process, morphine can be administered to help them feel less air hunger. And so you often see it used in end-of-life care for people with terminal lung disease. Right. 
Um, we also used to use it as more of a frontline treatment in EMS for mm-hmm. congestive heart failure as well, where fluid, where the heart is failing and fluid is backing up into the lungs. Or heart attacks. Right. So one of the side effects of morphine is it has a vasodilation effect where it causes the vasculature in your body to become bigger. I think Mark and I have used this analogy many times to talk about the cardiovascular system where you have basically a, uh, you have a, you have your heart, which is the pump. You have uh, your veins and your arteries, which is the container, and your blood is the fluid. And this is how you get blood pressure is by, you know, the, 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 heart, the pump pumping harder, the container shrinking, um, will or raise your blood fluid. pressure or more fluid or less fluid to lower it. Mm-hmm. So one of the things morphine will do is it will make the container bigger, dropping the pressure. What it can also theoretically do is if you have a clot in one of these vessels, it can make the pipe bigger to allow blood flow to get around the clot. Right. In the instance of congestive heart failure, where we're concerned about fluid backing up into the lungs because the heart, the pump itself has failed, uh, we can lower the pressure of the rest of the body, which will allow some of that fluid, instead of going into the lungs, to have less resistance to go other places and thus draw it away from the lungs. Now, this is also a short-term fix. Yes, absolutely. Because it's gonna, the morphine's going to wear off and you're going to be back in the same position. The problem you run to is these patients are generally very tired. From all that work of breathing. From, from all that work of breathing. So you take away that work of breathing because you've just lowered that level and they feel better. But then if you're not careful and it comes back, they're in a worse position because people can actually just get too tired to breathe. Yeah, absolutely. And we've, and we've seen it. And when someone's too tired to breathe, that is a bad, bad sign. Right. That person needs intervention now or they will die. Uh-huh. That's where that goes. Um so this, and these next two, these are not typical modern uses anymore, uh, but it does reduce a seizure threshold. So for people who have uh, chronic seizure conditions, such as epilepsy uh, or, or some encephalopathies, which is, um, uh, I guess would be a disease inside the head is what that word literally means. Um, Usually it's a type of like swelling of the brain. Yeah. Along or, those kinds. Or, li- or fluid on the brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been used in the past to try and lower that seizure threshold and also as an antidepressant. Unfortunately, one of the unwanted side effects uh, is thoughts of suicide. Right. So giving a drug that could have an unwanted potential side effect of thoughts of suicide to someone who's depressed, poor planning. Right. And we have we've developed better medications in the meantime uh, for that use. Other unwanted effects are physical dependence. Right. Now, what this does is talk a little bit about some physiology. As we already mentioned, these, um, these opioids stimulate opioid receptors uh, in your body. And these receptors are responsible for uh, happiness. They're responsible for your perception of pain. The problem is, is that it can cause damage to these receptors. So when the drug is no longer there, you can no longer get happy. And so you start to have a physical chemical craving for a what is essentially now a neurotransmitter for you being heroin uh, that you must have right and not taking it causes things like if you've ever ever heard of withdrawal syndromes Mm -hmm. it causes headaches it causes the shakes it can cause seizures not not having it right um it can cause the delirium tremens yeah these are physical problems that will happen to you if you do not continue to take the medication or you're not weaned off of it in a medically sound way yeah Let's see. Other things that it causes is it can cause constipation. It dries out your bowels. Yeah. Well, what it does is it decreases uh, ga- uh, what they just call gastric motility. And what that means is your 
from your stomach down to all your colons, they have an effect. It's called peristalsis, where they squeeze food that you've used up all the way down to your butt. And they squeeze it out. Yeah. Well, it decreases the ability of those organs to do that job. And so what happens is the food bolus, the previous food, the waste, sits in there longer. The poop. The poop. <laughs> the poop sits in there longer. And one of the processes that happens in your colon is what they call fluid reuptake. This might sound kind of gross, but your body will actually sit there and take water out of your poop. Mm-hmm. For use again. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that when you take water out of the poop, it becomes dry and hard. If it sits there too long because you have reduced motility, it becomes a clog. Right. And that's how people can get severely constipated. Well, I, they, they go from being constipated to being impacted. And this is a problem. Have you ever been on a severely impacted patient? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it is, it's agony. Mm-hmm. It is absolute agony and patients will do anything. To get the morphine. Uh, well, it's either well, they will do anything to get morphine, but they'll also do anything to get that impaction out. Right. Uh, uh, just recently, we picked up a gentleman who was wrapping paper towel around his own finger and trying to dig it out. Well, I've got a worse story. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I see your story, and I raise you one spoon. <laughs> oh. One wooden spoon. Ah. Oh. Mind you, one broken wooden spoon. Ah, okay, you win. Yeah, yeah. so this is, uh, the impaction causes several things. It causes extreme pain. You also don't want to eat anymore. Because that impaction can get so severe that it creates a sensation of fullness. Mm-hmm. So patients don't want to eat, and so their blood sugar gets lower. And we all know what low blood sugar does to your thinking and your rationale. Uh, probably not everybody, but it can actually cause you to have uh, altered mental status. Yeah. It could be... Altered level of consciousness, like you can pass out from it, but you're not thinking straight. Exactly. Things just, you don't have enough sugar in your brain to make coherent thought. And so one of the things that ends up uh, that ended up happening to this particular gentleman, uh, he lived in a nursing home and he wanted anything, anything to get it out. He'd taken a wooden spoon, he had broken the end to make it look like a pointy spear tip, and he was trying to put it up there because he couldn't get the whole spoon in. Right. And he was trying to get it up there to dig out the impaction. Mm-hmm. A second side effect of these impactions is they can be so severe that it can actually cause what's called a vagal stimulus, mm-hmm. which maybe that's something for another episode, but this can actually slow down your heart rate. And with your slow heart rate comes a lower blood pressure. Well, my paramedic instructor told a story about a guy who they were convinced he was having a heart attack. Yeah. This was back in the uh, mid-80s. He was a paramedic. And this guy, he was having severe pain all over. That can be, uh, chest pain can be mimicked in uh, the abdominal region. So if you're having abdominal pain, we'll still probably check you out for cardiac symptoms. But his blood pressure was low. Mm-hmm. His heart rate was low because he had stimulated the vagus nerve. Ooh. The vagus nerve is a nerve in your chest and you also have one in your neck that regulates heart rate and blood pressure. If you do something to increase the intrathoracic pressure, the pressure inside your chest cavity, such as bearing down to poop. Mm-hmm. having a lot of pain so you tense up because of your impacted it increases that intrathoracic pressure stimulating the vagus nerve to drop your heart rate and do things to cause your blood pressure to go down yeah so say you're constipated and you're sitting on the toilet you bear down really hard trying to push the poop out and your body thinks your vagus nerve thinks oh my god your pressure is through the roof let's slow it down let's slow everything down well then when you release to take a breath your blood pressure drops off severely. And you pass out. And you can die. A lot of elderly die this way. Uh, I've run the calls of the people dead beside the toilet. 
Wow. It's because they couldn't, as a healthy adult or healthy child or young adult, your body can respond quickly enough. But as you get older, your body doesn't respond the way it used to. Right. And so it drops off and it doesn't come back up. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is what can happen from, and there's been, back in the day, did then they still do, digital impaction. They will actually go to the hospital and somebody will put on a glove and just start digging out. Yeah. Poop from your butt. Digital, by the way, means finger. This right. isn't like a... Yeah, it's not like a remote control from across the room. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, although the person doing it wishes it was a remote control exactly. from across the room. But also, it can get so severe that you have to go to surgery to get this taken care of. Yeah. Yep. So you're going to go into a surgical suite and they're going to have to get it out that way. And this is why a lot of times you'll see opiate pain medications also prescribed with a laxative right. on the um, on the backside of that to help and prevent and this. And they're told to drink plenty of fluid. Exactly, because we talked about that fluid reuptake. Mm -hmm. So the narcotic can have a potential to draw excess fluid away. Let's add more fluid to the equation. Right. Yeah. Uh, another side effect is going to be respiratory depression. So earlier I'd mentioned air hunger, and that reduces your air hunger. This is kind of, this is what the overdose, when we talk about overdosing on this drug, this is the mechanism that kills you. It has the ability to reduce your hunger for, uh, for air so much that you stop breathing an adequate amount. When we give uh, narcotics on the ambulance, one of the things we have to do is we have to monitor your oxygen saturation. Right. And it's not uncommon to see people's oxygen saturation drop off when we have to give them supplemental oxygen. And then in certain circumstances, I know one of one medic uh, who actually ended up having to breathe for the patient. They ended up having to uh, use a bag valve mask to breathe for them because they knocked out their respiratory drive. Oops. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be tough to document, but you know, well, this is a side effect. The patient wasn't in any pain. Yeah, that, <laughs> you they, there you go. They didn't feel like they were suffocating, right? And of course, that can lead to death. And that's uh, that's pretty much what the overdose. That's what the opioid overdose is. So, common derivatives, and by derivatives, I mean derivative of the uh, opium uh, of the original. Uh, what do you call it? The the op. Uh -huh. Original poppy. Oh, the original poppy. Uh, so most commonly, we've already touched on this one quite a bit, but morphine. It's most commonly used for acute pain. However, it is used in some situations to treat people's chronic pain. Although these days you see that far more in end-of-life care than you do for like a tonsillectomy. Right. <laughs> Boy, morphine for a tonsillectomy. Yeah, wow. That'd be fantastic. That's some horrible tonsillectomy. Yeah. That's just, your ENT messed up, man. Exactly. He, ah, crap. Did I grab the garden shovel again? To exactly. do this? Not again. I went in there with a trowel. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, it's. It's scalpel. I grabbed the knife. Damn it. Exactly. So you want to, um, with the morphine, it, you know, again, it's highly, highly addictive. Right. And. Physically addictive. Physically addictive. And a lot of times with these drugs, and so let's talk a little bit about it. I want to talk brief tangent addiction. So a lot of times you'll hear Mark and I in these episodes as we talk about drugs, there's physical addiction and then there's psychological or social addiction. Mm -hmm. And with physical addiction, like we said, there is a physical consequence to not using the drug. This is your person who drinks uh, multiple caffeinated drinks every day and then stops drinking them. Right. And you get the headache. Everybody's had the caffeine headache. Yeah, Absolutely. But then you've also got the psychological or the social addiction, where one example of that would be 
you have something going in your life that may be going on in your life that maybe is unpleasant, causes you to be depressed. Mm -hmm. And so you're taking these medications as a way to escape that. Right. When these medications go away, your reality is real again, mm -hmm. and there you are. So you keep taking them, and you have to take them in higher doses to get the same effect. Absolutely. And that's more of the social psychological addiction. Which, and these medications will lead to a physical addiction. Absolutely. All right. Moving on to codeine. So, codeine, that's the other half of the opium that they can isolate from. That they can isolate from uh, the original product. So, codeine is much less powerful than morphine. Um, in terms of a study that, that has been done recently, most people between 8 to 12% uh, the strength of morphine in most people. Uh, but it's currently the most widespread opiate in the world. It's in everything from cough syrup uh, to pain pills. It's been used as an antidepressant. Oh, yeah. So it's super, super common because of the, I guess you'd probably say perceived, at least initially, perceived reduced risk of codeine versus morphine. Right. Well, you know, we talked about heroin. And one of the attractions of heroin was that, and morphine, it reduces that air hunger. Right. And so heroin and morphine are found to be too strong, but codeine in a cough syrup is just right. Yeah. Because it reduces the air hunger a little. It sedates you a little, so you're going to sleep better at night. So if you're sick and you have a constant cough, you're more likely to sleep well through the night. Mm -hmm. Now, this is also not just codeine. There's usually something else in there as a cough suppressant or an expectorant. A lot of times you also see codeine mixed with Tylenol. Yeah, that's, code, that's Tylenol number three. Yep. You know, and then you also see other narcotic pain relievers mixed with Tylenol. Absolutely. You know, oxycodone or what's it called now? They just renamed it. MS Cotton? No, they no. got a new name for it. I can't remember right now. <clears throat> but it's a, uh, Yeah. So you know, yeah, you can you can mix these drugs with uh, other drugs to get the desired effect. Coding is so popular because, like I said, they want something better than morphine, so they made heroin because it had to take less to get it to work. So they figured that was better. Mm, no, not so much. Yeah, codeine kind of is that medication. Right. It's not as strong, but it's usually strong enough. You're gonna get a. So if you're sick and you have a you have a some bad cough. They're going to put an expectorant in there to help you cough up the phlegm. They're going to put a cough suppressant in there so you're not coughing as much. And then the codeine is going to help you sleep. Right. And reduce your, your, your respiratory uh, hunger. Now, your hunger. at the end of the day, though, it's still an opioid. It can still be abused. Oh, absolutely. And this is the classic case where we talk about dose makes the poison. Right. What a substance is has very little to do with how much it can harm you. Just uh, any substance in the world in a small enough quantity is safe. Right. Any substance in the world in a high enough quantity is dangerous. Milk is good for you. <laughs> 50,000 gallons of milk coming towards you okay. is bad for but you. But that's death by, by trauma <laughs> through tidal wave. That's... But, you know, again, I mean... Yeah, that is that milk. a milk overdose? Exactly. Well, no, they had a... Uh, I mean, yeah, I've heard... Yeah, you've seen news stories. Uh, there was one... It was a radio station. Oh, I know. Killed yeah. a lady with water. Yep, because they thought that was going to be safe. Right, because, and what it was, was don't go wee for a wee. That was the promotion. And what they had to do was who could drink the most water without peeing. And they want a Nintendo and Wii. And they want a wee. A Nintendo Wii? Yeah, so oh, don't gosh. go wee for a wee. Did she win the wee, at least? Yeah, she did win, but okay. it killed her. Yeah, it's called she, hypernatremia. Yeah, she drank so much water 
she thinned her blood out to the point that it couldn't support life. But again, they went they went with it because it's water. Water, yeah. water can't hurt you. Apparently, they've never heard of drowning, but you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, you're just drinking water. Yeah, anything, oxygen. Um, gonna call out another uh, blogger here. Okay, the food babe. Ah, uh, jeez. Right. She put out an article talking about how airlines. Oh yes, were being cheap uh-huh. and only putting air in the in the airplanes. There was only twenty one percent oxygen in that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And so they and they did this to save money, so they didn't have to buy a hundred percent oxygen. Basically, they were cutting your oxygen down to twenty one percent of normal. Problem with this theory is twenty one percent is normal. Yeah, that's what air you're you breathing? breathe every day is seventy eight percent nitrogen, twenty one percent oxygen. And then a certain, whatever, you know, whatever the balance is yeah, of other things in the air. So unless you are on oxygen right now as you're listening to this podcast, you are currently breathing that mixture. Right. And you're only using 5% of that. Quite frankly, it's because the world is cheap. Right. And they're cutting our oxygen <laughs> yeah. supply. And so, you know, it's... You just... I have nothing else to follow it up. Nah, nah, that's good. But I get, uh, I get frustrated. So, yeah. minor digression there, but uh, you guys get the point. So yeah, so coding for that reason though, because coding can be abused. It's actually been in the U.S. and the U.K. It's been a controlled substance since the fifties. Right. Uh, where it wasn't a controlled substance was Russia. Right. That wasn't until 2012, and that was because people were using it to make crocodile. Now, if you listen to one of our other podcasts, our first, uh, the part one. Street Drugs 1. Yeah, Street Drugs 1, we talk about crocodile. And Mm -hmm. what crocodile is, is that when it's typically used by people who are heroin addicts, Mm -hmm. but they can no longer afford heroin. And crocodile is basically a refinement process of coding, which in Russia up until Mm, 2012. I don't think we can call that a refinement. (laughs) Okay, True. A treatment of codeine. Yeah, there you go. That That's even better. Uh, it, it is a treatment of codeine, which up until 2012 was available over the counter in Russia. Mm-hmm. You could walk into wall, you could walk in your local grocery store or your local mm-hmm. corner pharmacy and buy codeine tablets oh, yeah. over the over the counter. And they treat it with all sorts of crazy crap, like uh-huh. the oh, you know the red sulfur from match heads right. you know, that uh, goes in there. Brake cleaner, yeah. just ridiculous <laughs> Clean, stuff like you know, that. Stuff like that. Yeah, and then they take that and they inject it, and because. It is from the same family as heroin. It gives them a very similar high. However, because it is codeine, the high does not last as long, mm-hmm. and it's not quite as much. So they have to do more, and they have to do it more frequently. Whereas they would do once, maybe twice a day of heroin. Yeah. They would do this up to four, five, and six times a day. And the side effects of extravasating, which means you miss a vein, of crocodile is far worse than the side effects of heroin. Well, the name crocodile is because it makes you look like skin of a crocodile. Yeah, it literally blisters the skin, making it look like scales, and it causes gangrene, which is essentially dead flesh. If you want to be disgusted thoroughly, Google crocodile with a K, K R O K D I L. Yep. K R O K O D I L. But anyway, Google will fix it for you if you spell it wrong. Right. And you. <laughs> I mean, there's literally pictures on there of people's limbs where that's sloughed off and you can see bone. And just as in our street drugs episode, we will not recommend eating no. in and around the time that you look this up. Yeah. And the thing is, is, don't look it up if you have a weak stomach in any way, shape, or form. It is disgusting. And Mark has a serious face on while he's I saying do. that, just so you know. That's wearing, the serious I'm wearing, face. I'm wearing my dad hat. 
Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah, don't so, don't look that up. Yeah, don't look it up unless you have a, you have a fairly morbid personality. Yeah. However, needless I, to say, Chris and I both looked it up. So, alrighty. So, codeine it is considered less addictive than morphine, so it is preferred for more longer term uh, pain treatments. For example, if you have, like we talked about, if you uh, recently coming off of a surgery where you might have some expected pain at the surgical site, that's where you're going to see codeine more likely to be prescribed. For pain you, control. you would expect. Yeah. We'll get into that in just a little bit. Yeah, there's... Yes. So much to unpack there, so... Yeah. Oh, nice constipation reference. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you said unpacked, didn't you? Yes. I thought you said impact. Well, you unpack an impaction. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right, yeah. Mark and I are currently giving each other the... That's right. No. Yeah, that's right. We know so, exactly what we're talking about. Not making that blues go along at all. No. All right, so heroin. We've already touched on heroin a little bit. This one is not used for anything medical whatsoever. It's a Schedule One drug. It has no medical use and currently has uh, too many negatives uh, to be anything but Schedule One. It's similar to morphine, but two to three times stronger uh, per equivalent, so milligram per milligram. Uh, it's no longer used medically, and it's most commonly abused opiate in the U.S. and the U.K. We saw a resurgence here in heroin use as uh, methamphetamines became um, more expensive to make right. here locally in Oregon. And then finally, let's move on to fentanyl. So so fentanyl is synthetic. So it's actually not derived from the poppy plant itself. It's mm-hmm. produced entirely in a lab. It's used both for long-term and acute pain. Uh, we use it on the ambulance, as we already mentioned, for acute pain. Well, we went to fentanyl because morphine has a long onset of action. Yeah. Meaning that... We were giving it every three to five minutes. But it could take up to 10 to 20 for the first dose to get its full effect. Right. So basically, when we got to the hospital, they <laughs> felt great. Yes. But most of the trip, they were still in a lot of pain. And unfortunately, an assessment of pain for the physician at the hospital is part of the assessment. Right. And so we'd bring him somebody that was like, okay, you're at a tolerable pain level now, mm-hmm. but then 10 minutes, 20 minutes after dropping off at the hospital, they're in la-la land. Right. So fentanyl is a good example, and the reason I chose fentanyl to talk about, it's a good example of why we make synthetic drugs in the first place. So fentanyl, you actually have several types of opiate receptors. We're not going to go into all of those, but they all have different effects. Fentanyl is scientifically tailored to only impact certain ones that have the analgesic effect. Now, it still does have some side effects. Most medications, all medications do, but fentanyl has... A reduced impact on the blood pressure, so the vasodilation effect is less. It has a reduced impact on gastric motility, so constipation occurs less. It has a really quick onset, which is what Mark was talking about. Mm -hmm. And it also, a shorter duration. So it's really the ideal EMS pain drug. You give it, it comes on fast, and then it tapers off quickly. Well, the little six-year-old girl that dislocated her elbow today. Yeah, came on quick. Came on quick. So, legitimately, by the time we were getting in the ambulance, she was starting to feel the effects of it, and her pain was going down. Right. And so, you do also do see this drug used for long-term pain control in the form of a patch. Mm -hmm. So, fentanyl patches are fairly common, and that's it's like a Nicotrol patch or a birth control patch. It's a patch, a sticker, really, that you stick on your skin, and it absorbs through the skin itself. But... Fentanyl, being an opioid, yep. high chance for addiction. Absolutely. Uh, I have known at least one patient who would take the pod mm-hmm. out of the fentanyl patch, melt it down, and inject it. 
uh, that that was that was actually a problem in uh, one of the nearby counties for a yeah. while. And he said it gave a better high for a longer period of time than other narcotics. And it can also be outright lethal. Right. That's oh, absolutely. This is a medication where morphine and codeine and heroin even are given in milligrams. Yep. Which are one one thousandth of a gram. Right. Fentanyl is given in micrograms. Which is one one thousandth of a milligram. Right. One one thousandth. One one thousandth of a milligram. You're welcome. And so, <laughs> uh, this is this is a very potent potent drug, right? You know that we give in very small doses, but it comes on quickly, and then it's nice because well, it's not nice, but we get to the hospital, it wears off quickly. The doctors can do a proper assessment yeah. of the pain of the patient, and then they can give them much better, longer acting pain medications like Dilaudid, yeah, which is very, you know, whereas you're giving. Upwards of 20 milligrams of morphine, you're giving half a milligram of Dilaudid. Right. But it's got the advantages of lasting for a much longer period of time, unlike fentanyl. Now, fentanyl does have one side effect that's fairly unique to it. And that is something called chest wall rigidity. I think I go with the rooster crowing. <laughs> yes, patients have been known to wake up at 8 a.m. crewing out the window. <laughs> I don't think that's an actual side effect. Mark may have made that up. He <laughs> might. Prove me wrong, internet. Prove me wrong. You know, you asked for it then. <laughs> when it comes, you get to deal with that shitstorm. That's yours. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so chest wall rigidity. Now this is different than respiratory depression, though. Fentanyl can also cause respiratory depression, not as readily as say morphine. Chest wall rigidity is different in the sense that what it does is your chest wall has muscles all over it. And these muscles help expand your chest when you take a breath in and they relax to let your chest, uh, when you exhale. Well, chest wall rigidity basically causes these muscles to tense up and not relax. Basically, you can't move your chest wall. In other words, you can't take a breath. The problem with this is it's not responsive to something like Narcan, which should be a narcotics antagonist. Right. And pretty much the only solution when this happens is to give a drug called succinylcholine. What succinylcholine does is it's paralytic. And basically it blocks the neuromuscular junction, which is the junction between a nerve and a muscle, from functioning and causes muscles to relax. However, we then have to breathe for them after that by innovating the patient, hooking up a bag and squeezing it, or a ventilator in the hospital setting. Would you say that's a conjunction function? I, I wouldn't, but, you know, <laughs> sounds like you would. Uh, so this, the only time that I have ever heard, it's very rare side effect. The only time that I've ever heard of it happening, one of my early jobs as a paramedic was I worked on a pediatric transport team. And all we did was transport sick kids, which by the way is a rough job. Um, and there was an incident where a child was given a large dose of fentanyl that might've been more suitable for an adult. And that caused chest wall rigidity. Yeah. Not going to come off looking good on the IR on that one. Yeah, no, but uh, it was it didn't result in the death of the child or anything. They recognized it quickly, acted appropriately. Uh, but that is the one case that I've actually seen it happen. So that is a negative side effect that's unique to fentanyl. So one thing I, I was going to touch on is human beings have an incredible ability for um, inquisition. I'm not talking about the Spanish inquisition. 
Well I'm talking about right. <laughs> you weren't expecting that, were you? Um, you never expect a Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> so we always can do something better, but do we need to? Right. You know, one of the examples is for me is going to be car fentanyl. Okay. Uh, car fentanyl is fentanyl for cars. It is. <laughs> Sorry. Is a uh, is an analog of fentanyl. Okay. So fentanyl, extremely potent. Yes. Right. So car. So somebody goes, hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> right. So two chemists were standing there. You know. Oh, you think that's good? Right. <laughs> Let me get. This is what I use in my car. Uh, so car fentanyl is an analog of of, of fentanyl. So fentanyl is given in micrograms, which is one one thousandth of a milligram. Right. Car fentanyl is 100 times as potent Jesus. as fentanyl. Why? That, right? that is a bored chemist, by hold, the way. Yeah, hold my beer. Yeah. You know, so... It's the Walter White of opiates. It is 5,000 times more potent than a unit of heroin. Yes. And 10,000 times more potent than a unit of morphine. So they could have basically got Mount St. Helens to stop by dropping some in. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the reason, one of the reasons I bring this up is it does have some uses. None of them are great, but <laughs> it does have some uses. I don't know if you remember talking uh, or hearing about a uh, Moscow theater in 2002 that was a hostage situation. Okay. And one of the, uh, so the Russians went in and they disabled everybody in the building. And they never really told anybody how they did it. Hmm. So it eventually came out as they used an aerosolized mist of carfentanil and remifentanil, which I haven't even looked up, to uh, basically misted it into this building <laughs> and it knocked everybody out. Great. That's actually pretty smart. Except they didn't tell anybody how they did it. So the first responders walk into all these people who are unconscious and they don't know why. Oh, damn. Plus... They weren't told to bring opioid antagonists like Narcan, so they didn't have enough. Oh, jeez. And so, not knowing to expect hundreds of patients exposed to high doses of strong opioids, they didn't bring enough Narcan to counteract all this stuff, and 125 people exposed to this died. Whoops. Yeah. So, you saved a bunch of lives by knocking everybody out. But then you killed them afterwards because you didn't tell the people who were there to fix them or people that were there to help them would be a better way to put that, how to help them. And so they didn't have enough of the drug on scene. And quite frankly, what kind of dangerous scene is that to walk into? Right. Because those first responders are in there breathing the same air. Right. So who knows? You know, or if it's misted onto a, uh, onto a surface mm -hmm. and that surface is now damp and you touch it with a part of your body, you lean up against it or you're changing gloves and you touch something and you start absorbing it. Through your skin, because there have been uh, situations where that has happened, they feel. Yeah. Uh, just recently, it was on the coast, I believe in Oregon. Wow. That first, uh, an, a deputy started having hallucinations and side effects after touching a person who had been poisoned with carfentanil. At least that's his excuse, as he right. raids the evidence locker. Yeah, you know. Nah, I'm joking. I don't want to talk ill about cops. <laughs> no, not at all. We rely way too much on cops in our profession. Exactly. Well, you're not going to anymore, apparently. Yeah, right? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's right. I'm one of the thousand people who have downloaded your <laughs> podcast. I think you should go in first, Mr. Fingston. But, you know, this is probably a good time to bring up the opioid epidemic that's right. been hitting the news so much. Well, it is, because these things work well. Mm-hmm. And... 
So one of the things that we're facing in the United States, and actually it's worldwide, mm-hmm. um, but in the United States, it's been uh, hitting the news quite a bit. The president's addressed it. Um, it's been, uh, there's been a couple of YouTube videos out there where people have recorded first, you know, people in their car with their kids that are passed out from opioid addiction yeah. and first responders responding to that. So what's been going on, because opiates are, in the grand scheme of things, not hard to get a hold of right. because they're they're everywhere. They have legitimate medical usage. Uh, we see uh, people who are you know coming home from surgeries or injuries who otherwise don't have an addiction right. are prescribed opiate based painkillers are now becoming addicted. Right. Well, because again, you take them while you're hurting. When you come off of them, you're still addicted. You're addicted. Well, when you start coming off of them, you feel like you're hurting. Yeah. Because your sense of pain is so skewed because you're used to having this thing depressing your sense of pain Mm -hmm. that now everything seems like it's painful. So then you need more opioids. Well, and I have said this for a long time. uh, Heroin addicts are the biggest sissies when it comes to IVs. Right. Yeah. Well, they are. I mean, because they come in because one, they're a lot of times we end up going on heroin addicts who are withdrawing. And that generates the 911 call in the first place. Right. And so then we arrive and they have symptoms that warrant an IV. Right. And so you go to start an IV on them. For one, not a lot of sites. Right. Because they've used up all their good all their good veins anyway. And two, they're going through withdrawals. They feel like they're hurting anyway. Any sort of touch, much less a sharp object in their arm. Yeah, and they scream, right. what are you doing to me? So what you end up having is because opioids are so well saturated in the medical field, people who would otherwise not have an exposure to drugs right. are now being exposed. Right. And with this high level of exposure, you're creating a large, I guess I guess you could say these painkillers are a gateway drug. Mm-hmm. And so you have a large base of people uh, that have that now have access to pain pills. And the other problem, too, is it's really difficult for physicians right now. They're in a weird position. There's a lot of heat in the media and the press for physicians to stop prescribing opiates. Right. But at the same time, physicians get a lot of pressure in terms of litigation right. for not treating patients' pain. Or even just in the, in the, in the room, in the, in the office. Yeah. It's the only thing that works for my pain. Absolutely. Are I you mean, you and I have it? you and I have both probably run on these patients that will have a long list of allergies, except for the pain medication they like. Yeah. When in reality, most of these medications are really, really, really similar to the one that they like. Right. And it would be very difficult to but, be allergic to one but not the other. Right. And yeah. you know, but that's the one that works the best for them. Mm-hmm. And so that's the one they want. And that's the one they're addicted to. Right. And so they're in the office and they're crying angry, whatever, with the doctor because he's withholding this from them. Yeah. So then they go doctor shopping. Absolutely. Or what we see, hospital shopping. All the time. Where they call up and they go to this one hospital that they've gone to all their life, and the doctors there have now determined that the person's addicted, and they're not going to feed into that addiction. They'll get flagged in their system, actually. And so they try and give them non-narcotic pain relievers. Well, that doesn't do what they want. No, because they're not wanting the pain relief. They want the narcotic high. They want the narcotic high. So then they'll go to a different hospital until the people, until the doctors there figure out. Yeah. And then they'll go to a different hospital. They keep moving to these different hospitals until they until they run out of hospitals. Now, to show you how extreme this addiction gets, and Mark and I in our area recently 
there was a, a younger a, a kid, I think he was technically 18, but I'd call him a kid now, who knew how to dislocate his shoulder. I never ran on this guy. Oh, you didn't? Yeah. yeah. He uh, Well, he ended up uh, moving to a nearby county. Right. So he's out of our hair now. Or at least that, though, that's where he's going now. Right. Uh, yeah. What he would do is he'd go to skate parks, and he would dislocate his shoulder and call 911. Wow. And he would sit there. And, of course, you'd, and, give, you'd give a dislocated fentanyl. Well, well, that, of course you would. Well, that and the thing is, is that with the way shifts work mm-hmm. and shift rotations work, chance of you getting the same medic twice yeah, you very gotta... slim, slim. And if I come across somebody at a skate park that's dis- legitimately dislocated their shoulder, like you said, yeah, I'm gonna get pain meds. It looks painful. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here to help. But yeah, I want to help you with this pain. I have a medication that can help you with that. And if I don't know the history, you know, then yeah, I'm gonna give you the pain meds. I had a lady who, on the other end of the spectrum, fire when I walk in. Our local fire responders, all good guys, but they're trying to help her out. She's dislocated her shoulder, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Well, we'll give you some fentanyl." No, what? What? You're in ten out of ten pain, and they, and I was looking at her. I go, "Are you on a pain contract?" Which is something that, if you're determined to be uh, abusing these medications, but you still need them, you can go on a pain contract, which is something you sign with a doctor. And your pain medications are highly regulated, and you will not get any more than what's prescribed to you. Yeah, you can't come back in, you know, get ten day supply and come back in seven days and say, "Look, I ran out or I lost them." Well, no, you got a ten day supply, and it's an attempt to help regulate and help bring people back from that edge of addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said, "No, I'm not in a pain contract. I'm a recovering addict." Oh, so she was, and two opiates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's not going to take fentanyl because she's scared about going back down that path. Good for her, though. A- absolutely good Will for her. Willpower. So we carry a different medication called ketamine. And I offered that to her because she was in a lot of pain. She wanted something for pain, you know. Just not an opiate. Just not an opiate. And so we called. We have to call our online medical control. Mm-hmm. And I got permission to skip the fentanyl. And the doc's like, yeah, absolutely. He was a little confused about why I was calling. And I was like, well, technically I have to give the fentanyl first. I'm pretty sure even if I didn't talk to you and I did this, I wouldn't catch any grief. Right. But this is the protocol that if I'm going to take this kind of a deviation, I have to get approval from a doctor. It's out of the norm. Right. Yeah. You know, but yeah, so we skipped straight to ketamine. How'd you know, it go? Really well. Helped with her pain. She was able to get up and walk down to the gurney and a uh, relatively comfortable ride all the way to the hospital. But good for her, though. But then we had to make that. sure we read because as soon as, well, do you want anything for pain? She's like, No. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a second. You have to be a little more open about this because this sends up red flags. You know, and and here's the thing. Um, As paramedics, we see a lot. And I think a lot of people don't want to share these things because they don't want to be judged. Right. We see a lot. The chances of you being the worst, pretty slim. Right. Pretty slim. Yeah. Uh, If your paramedics know what they're doing, they're not going to judge you. Right. And by the way, any paramedics listening that judge, stop. Right. You haven't worked. You haven't walked this person's life. You don't know their path. Yeah, just take so, care of them. Be a good human being. Yeah. So anyway, Narcan. So that's one of the recent controversies that has come up. So with this opioid epidemic that we're seeing, um, because it does kill people. Oh, yeah. One of the solutions that some communities have taken and that some people are advocating for is to make a drug called Narcan, also known as, or well, it's called Naloxone, also known as Narcan or a narcotics antagonist. Uh, and make it available. And what this does is it flushes the opiate receptors in your body. It flushes them out and stops the effect 
of the opiates. It competes with the opiates for those receptors. Yeah, and it competes really, really good. Now, so, there's some drawbacks to that. So, well, there's several different drawbacks. So, when you give this, it can bring somebody essentially back from the dead. Right, if you've ever seen the movie Bringing Out the Dead, right. it has a great depiction in there. Right. They have, I believe the character's name is Ivy Bangin, and he is, uh, he's overdosed, and Nicolas Cage gives him Narcan. It works rapidly, and the guy goes from blue and apneic, apneic mm-hmm. meaning not breathing, to awake and breathing. One thing the movie skips is it's usually awake, breathing, and vomiting. But... Or awake, breathing, and angry. Yeah. yeah, it does. Because you are essentially, and this is one of the drawbacks, is if you use it too aggressively, you can actually send them into withdrawals. Right. So, like, for example, our dosage, if we're giving it IM, which means intermuscular, it's just a needle in the arm, and we push that, we give it two milligrams. If we're giving it intravenously, it's a half milligram for right. a loading dose. Now, we can step up additional dosages as needed. Right. But the general goal for me as a paramedic is I want to give them just enough Narcan that they are breathing on their own and that they're oxygenating their blood. Right. That's going to save them from death. Well, and that and the thing is, is that that may seem a little bit harsh, that we don't want to bring them fully awake. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, like we said, when they come fully awake, they're upset with you because you just killed their high and they pay good money for it. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is... Not bringing them fully, that's no detriment to them. Right. They're, they're sleeping through this. But the thing is, is that if they come up and they're angry, and now you have to fight them all the way to the hospital. Oh, yeah, and that's dangerous and that's, for me. And that's them. dangerous for you, it's dangerous for them, it's dangerous for everybody on the road. Mm-hmm. So if we can bring them up to a point where they're sustaining life healthily. Yeah. Well, as healthy as it can be as an addict, but, you know, you're sustaining life, but you're not causing this other stuff to go on. The anger, the fighting, whatever, the vomiting, you yeah. know. And when you say vomiting, this isn't just like a oh boy. Oh, I got a little bit in the back of my throat. This is you're going for distance. Oh yeah, kind of vomiting. The best. I had a recent one where we gave Narcan. The guy woke up, and um, he started vomiting before he was really cognizant, cognizant. Mm-hmm. And so he basically just put his face towards the ground, and his face was maybe three inches above the ground, and he started hurling right at it. And if you've ever seen a welder weld. And you've seen where the sparks hitting, and there's the sparks just hitting the surface, and it's just flying off everywhere. Mm-hmm. It looks like he was welding with vomit. Right. And it's just vomit going everywhere, to the point that I'm taking a step back, because I don't want to get it on me. Right. He ended up being A-OK. But um, anyway. Well, so these are, these are people that are on the gurney in the ambulance, and they can make it out the back door. Yeah. And not a drop that lands inside your ambulance. We try to keep the back door closed, by the way. During right. Well, this is still on scene sitting still. But yeah. that's just the kind of vomit. When we say projectile vomiting. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of vomiting that can actually do damage. Yeah. This is uh, exorcist-style stuff. Yeah. They could actually uh, cause bleeding in their esophagus because they're vomiting so hard. Yeah. It's a substantial amount. So, one of the solutions to this opioid epidemic, or I guess not a solution, but possibly a band-aid in the meantime to keep people from dying, is to distribute Narcan freely. So, in other words... Uh, one way is getting a prescription for Narcan. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. And the other way is Narcan dispensaries. Essentially, free Narcan. The, reminiscent of the needle dispensaries. Yeah. And the heroin, at the peak of the heroin oh, crisis. fun fact. Okay. During my research for this, it was actually morphine that, and the administration of morphine, that spurred the, I guess it was the motivation mm-hmm. uh, for the modern hypodermic needle. Oh, really? Yeah, the hypodermic needle design. Now, hypodermic needle has actually been around for a long time. Right. But the design that we use today of it being a beveled edge, yeah. metal edge with a hollow with a hollow barrel, 
uh, that was that was designed so the so that morphine could be administered in a more controlled manner. I thought you were going to go with the fact that one of the initial perceived benefits of morphine, I'm sorry, of heroin, was that you didn't have to inject it. Oh, no. That was one of the things that initially they're like, well, this is great. Smaller dosage, plus we don't have to have a needle. Yeah. But no, actually, yeah, it was the uh, administration of morphine that really ushered us into the modern hypodermic needle design. Really pushed the needle needle uh, forth. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, back to Narcan. Right. Um, so there's pros and cons to this. Uh, the pro is that... Uh, it can save lives. Right. Um, the problem with people who find themselves in situations where they're doing a lot of heroin or a lot of uh, opiates to have these overdoses is that they're not fond of calling 911. Right. Because often with paramedics comes police. Right. And having a bunch of heroin around you when the cops show up isn't a good thing. So they won't call 911, right. increasing their chance of death. If Narcan is available to them, the idea is that it will increase their chance of living through this. They don't have to call 911. They can administer the Narcan and be on their merry way. The cons on this pro and con list is, well, for one, Narcan can be administered and then Narcan can wear off the same as any other medication. About 10 or 15 minutes, isn't it? Yeah. So if you have a substantial enough uh, dose of opioid on board and you give Narcan, yeah, they come back out of it. It's like, oh, great. Everything's good. Well, hey, buddy, you're fine. I'm going to go ahead and leave. And you leave. Narcan wears off. It doesn't cleanse the blood of the drug. No, it just... It goes in and sits on those receptors so that the the drugs that are in your blood can't affect your brain. Right. It still has to be metabolized and basically go through your kidneys to get out of your body. Right. So if you have so much in there that your body doesn't have enough time to metabolize it out before the Narcan wears off, you're back in the same spot. Absolutely. And so this can, versus if you called 911, you'll be transported. Right. So if this happens, you can be redosed. And I've taken patients to the hospital. By the time getting to the hospital, they're back to falling asleep. Sat- right. Oxygen saturations are going down. Oh, yeah. Those things again. And uh, that's happened. Right. So this is a, a real problem with it. Uh, the other side of it, of course, is the law enforcement side of it. it. If people aren't calling 911, then law enforcement is less aware of where the heroin or the source of prescription narcotics is coming from Mm -hmm. because they don't know what ever happened in the first place. Right. So those are kind of the, uh, those are the pros and cons of Narcan uh, distribution. That's where I'm at. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, is it going to save lives in the short term? But the thing is, is you can't use it as a substitute for being monitored until the, until the narcotic has worn off. Right. It's not a fix. It is a band-aid. It is a Yeah. It is a, you know, this is the finger in the dam. Yeah. It's not gonna stop the problem. It's going to just slow it down. So this leads to other controversies. For example, then, you know, if we don't want to do that, then how do we make it to where uh, people in this situation are more ready or more apt to call nine one one? Right. And so one idea is to decriminalize possession. Right. And only criminalize distribution. Right. That's one idea. Um, other ideas are to decriminalize drug use, period. Right. So. Uh, that's kind of my that's position. Decriminalize it, regulate it, mm-hmm. tax it. Because, I mean, one of the problems with, I mean, if we're not talking about, uh, we're talking about unregulated, like, heroin. Right. You know, you never know. We talked about this in the heroin, on the street drugs episode. You never know how long, it's, how strong it's going to be until you take it. 
That's true. You know, that's which true. is not a good time to that's... figure out how strong it is. Yeah, sure, uh, half that dose. You know, but I mean, when you're talking about prescription drugs, you know, at least it's regulated. That's true. People know how much. If I take a tablet that's, if I put a patch on that's 75 micrograms per day, mm-hmm. or per, you know, whatever it is for the patch, that's how much I'm going to get. Now, it's, if I decide to put five patches on, that's a different story. It's kind but, of your fault, really. Yeah, you know, but if I'm taking, you know, so uh, Roxanol is a form of morphine. Liquid. A liquid form of morphine. Yep. I ran a call. This very nice elderly gentleman was very concerned because he couldn't wake his wife up. Uh-oh. Right? So we got there. I'm like, okay. And she's deeply sedated. She will come up with like a good uh, noxious stimuli. Uh, but then she goes immediately back down. So I'm starting talking to him. My partner's getting a blood pressure. We're getting an IV started, everything like that. He goes, well, she started taking this. He hands me this bottle of something. Mm-hmm. And I look at it. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's Roxanol. <laughs> so standard concentration of Roxanol is what? I don't know. 20 milligrams of morphine per milliliter. That's a... <laughs> That's a stout... I... For, for for reference, in the EMS field, when that drug, uh, when morphine was given uh, IV, we were giving two to five milligrams per dose to a max of 20. Right. She has a full cough syrup bottle full of this stuff at 20 milligrams per milliliter. A milliliter is tiny, by it the way. not a whole bunch there. She was prescribed... Really quick, for reference, a saline bag, a typical saline bag you see in the hospital, the long types, if you've ever seen one... One milliliter is one one-thousandth of that bag. You're having a problem with that word. I am. One one-thousandth. One, one, thanks, Mark. Yeah, not a problem. I'm just going to point to you when I have to say there that. There you go. <laughs> you have to follow me around. Um, so, yeah, that's a thousand cc's or a yeah. thousand milliliters. Um, so, she was prescribed two to three milliliters every six hours for pain. Was she end-of-life care? No. I mean, she is now, but no, sorry, she, that was, I shouldn't. No, and this is now like three days into it. Yeah. Okay, I so, said, well, and he was, I mean, he was very concerned, rightly so, but I looked at him, I read that, I go, well, I know what the problem is. I mean, yeah. he was thinking stroke. He was thinking, sure. I mean, he went to all the really dark places that you would go to naturally. And I go, well, I, I know the problem. Yeah. And he was like, what is this? That is, and this woman is your little grandma. Oh, jeez. Maybe 110 pounds. Oh, my. You know, and she's been taking this. So what happens is, especially when you're elderly, you can't metabolize this medication, these medications as quickly. And so she keeps redosing per the prescription on the bottle. Yeah. And there's still plenty. Of, and so it builds up. So now instead of taking 20, well, she was taking 40 to 60 milligrams every six hours <laughs> for three days. And so I was like, okay, so we got her loaded up and. We gave her a little bit of Narcan, and she came around, and she was talking to her husband. And then on the way to the hospital, she started going back down again. Yeah. And so, you know, give her a little bit more. We get to the hospital, and basically she had to sit there and come off of morphine until she could you know, stay awake. That's one where the lab sent the blood back saying, you just sent me a vial of morphine. Right. That's exactly. all you sent me. <laughs> it's red. I don't know why this vial of morphine's red. But that's all the all the spectrometer shows. So. Now, um, okay, the thing about Narcan, let's, let's finish up on that. Yes, it's beneficial in the short term. It does not replace constant monitoring. Yeah. So if you're in a position where you need to give Narcan to somebody because you feel they've had an overdose, 
do not stop that do not let that stop you from calling 911 get us there get us there cuz even if we get there and the person refuses mm-hmm. you know or they get upset because you called 911 so now the police are there there's a distinct possibility they're going to be back in the same position if they're not given long-term treatment for this and here's the thing that and this is going this might be a hard concept to swallow for some but one of the things that even if you have a friend or even if you have a heroin problem or you or, have an opiate problem right one of the things that you that you that we're going to agree on here is that it is a problem yeah and sometimes people have to reach a rock bottom before they see it you, they have to have that that moment of i'm either going to change my or, path or i'm going to keep doing this till it kills me yeah and so sometimes an interaction with the police is that rock bottom yeah or the fact that they had to we had to be called that's sometimes the thing that looks them in the face and goes okay i'm mm-hmm. there i have to either change my behavior or this is going to kill me well, I'll tell you, that guy I told, you, I told you about who was welding the ground with vomit, mm-hmm. one of the statements he made on the way to the hospital is he starts getting really emotional. Mm-hmm. And sometimes Narcan can actually make you emotional as well, so right. I'm thinking it's the Narcan. And I was like, I was trying to be comforting, trying to be nice. And um, one of the things he tells me, he goes, no, no, no. He goes, I'm going to lose my kid. Yeah. He's in a custody battle. Yeah. And so he is, uh, he's convinced he's going to lose his kid because... If they pull this chart. Yeah. And they present it in court in a child custody hearing that he was taken to the hospital for an overdose of narcotics. Right. Well, and when we got on scene, actually, his um, his he was actually at his mother's house. Mm-hmm. And she was holding the kid. And when we got there, she kept telling us, go, go, pick him up, go. What are you doing here? Why are you still here? And I'm like, ma'am, we need to save him. You need to back away and let us do this. No, 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 you guys need to take him to the hospital. She's worried the cops were going to come. Right. And then and, there's a police report. And the moment the cops come into the house, once they have probable cause to enter the house, because it's a possible overdose, and they see something. And there's a child. That's it. Game over. So she wanted us out. So the fire lieutenant, to this day, is one of my favorite fire lieutenants, uh, masterfully took her aside and was like, look, here's the thing. This came in as an unconscious, unresponsive. I have not heard of a cop car coming. Right. you got to let us do what we got to do. Right. If we left now for the hospital, he wouldn't make it from here to the hospital. Right. That might have been a lie, but whatever. You don't know. I mean, if, yeah. he's, if he's that far down, we're Could not going to take the chance. No, we're not. We're not. And that's, you know. and I've talked about this a couple other times. That is one of the, the changing things about the field of paramedics is that a lot of people are used to the olden days of load them in the Cadillac, drive to the hospital as fast as you can, and that's yeah. the only goal. We do a lot of stuff now. Right. And sometimes we take a little bit of time on scene. Right. My personal style, I transport probably quicker, I think, than most paramedics do. Yeah. And I do a lot of it in the back of the ambulance. And I actually learned that from you mm-hmm. uh, when you and I worked together. Because Mark, I'm, Because I'm great. Yeah. Mark was actually one of my earlier paramedic partners. Not my earliest, but one of my earlier. And I do a lot of the things. Uh, your paramedic partner, complete, we can't put that in the same scale. The yeah. Previ- the previous partner. I had a few previous partners that were, how about this? They're no longer paramedics. <laughs> Neither of them actually are. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's one of those things where... Um, as I've become a paramedic, there are some things that I used to not understand why Mark did. But now I'm like, oh, yeah. I totally know so why he does that. in our system, we have what's called a, a lead or a senior paramedic and then a junior paramedic. Yeah. I was a senior, and I tend to want to do things a specific way. Yes. And I have reasons. Right. I do have my reasons. And it took Chris becoming a senior paramedic to go, oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, I see where he's going with that. This now. makes sense. Yeah. You so. know what though? That wraps up what I want to say about opium. How about you? Yeah. Uh, Narcan, if you have somebody who has an opioid problem or an opiate problem, mm-hmm. we're not saying don't get it. Absolutely get the prescription. It could save their life. But get us there too. Get us there too, because it's not a fix. It is a band-aid. And there is no amount of, you know, legal consequence that's worth their, that's worth their life. Right. You know. And again, this could be that, that hallmark moment in their life where they decide to change. Yeah. Even if it's the 15th or 20th time it's gone on. Could be the best thing you do for them. Yeah. They may, they, they may not Other see that. Other than the fact that they aren't dead. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They may not see that. So. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. Yeah. Check us out on Facebook. Medical uh, Stuff. Medical Stuff is on Facebook. We're on the tweets. Check us and, out on... Uh, medical yeah. Stuff or at Medside Stuff for Twitter. M-E-D-S-I-D-E-S-T-U-F-F. You can email us at medsidestuff at yahoo.com. How do you spell it? M-E-D-S-I-D-E-S-T-U-F-F. Nice. Yeah. And then, of course, we're on YouTube. Yeah, that's going to be med, uh, Medical Stuff Videos is the channel. Check yeah. us out there. And uh, right now, we haven't actually posted any videos, but we're going to in the future. Yeah. We but, do have our episodes are being uploaded. Right. So if you uh, like to use YouTube to stream to your car... Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. It's an easy way to listen. Uh, also, see us on, uh, you can find us on iTunes and Google Play. And Stitcher. And Stitcher. Or go straight to our Podient page, Medical Stuff, at Podient, uh, let's see, it's... No, just go to Podient and look for www.medicalstuff.podient.co. Yeah. And please, on uh, iTunes and Google Play and YouTube, please leave a review or a thumbs up. And subscribe. Yes. Please subscribe to YouTube. five-star reviews are always appreciated because it helps move us up the lists so more people can hear from us. So, I think we're good. I'm good. Toast. Toast. Never going to explain that. Nope. Don't even ask us. (laughs) We're not sure where it comes from.